You're listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. Today's message from Pastor Colt Hudson is part of our current sermon series through the Gospel of John. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. And again, we are thankful for our worship team this morning for uh, blessing us with uh, opportunity to sing to the Lord and leading us in that. But uh, as you're turning to John 21, 15 through 19, we're going to be looking at a sermon uh, this morning called, Do You Love Me? And we're looking at this text together. And recently, I've been reflecting on the fact that we are one sermon away from having walked verse by verse through the entire book of John together. And uh, as we have gone through this book, I, I truly hope that you have learned more about the greatness and the glory of our Lord. Um, and, you know, as we've worked through this, what I've realized is that there have been many themes that we've seen repeated. Um, I know in the past when I've preached through sermon series, people will say, you know, we talk about these same themes kind of a lot as we're going through this book. And I say, well, you know, that's because usually if you're working through like a Pauline letter or you're working through something uh, even like a gospel, they, these were meant to be read in one sitting. And so these themes continue to recur. And so what happens is as we've worked through the gospel of John, we've seen these themes repeated. And, and among them are, are the sovereignty of God, the, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, and also more broad themes, things that we are supposed to be engaged in, like missional effort and worship. And, of course, we would be remiss if we didn't think about the love that we see in this book as well. You know, John writes in such a way that love is a repeated theme, both in his gospel and in his letters. For instance, it is in 1 John that we are told that we love because he first loved us. Today, that theme of love is going to be on full display, but we're not going to just see, uh, again, this, this love in a general sense, but rather we're going to see Jesus inquire of Peter about his love for Christ. And he will repeatedly ask this question, a question that we are going to ask of ourselves. Do you love Jesus? And we remember as we approach this text this morning that Peter has had a rough stretch. But today, not only is Peter's love for Christ going to be questioned, but God's love and grace will be put on full display. And so I want us to go ahead and take a look at this rich passage together. And so if you're physically able, would you please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of the Word of God? Again, John 21, 15 through 19. I'll be reading from the ESV, but you follow along in your translation. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. 
And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and Lord, we realize that there are so many things going on around us at any given moment. Lord, there are the concerns of this world. There are the anxieties of our heart. Lord, there are the stresses of daily life. But Father, now as we look into your word, we pray that those things would be far from us. Lord, not simply in a desire to escape from this world and those concerns, but Lord, rather a desire to focus upon what it is that you are saying to us. Lord, what your word has to say to us. And Father, we pray that today we would not simply be content to hear from your word. But Father, that we would be people who do your word. And so Lord, where we are not doing your word, may you convict us. Lord, may you encourage us to do what is right. May you equip us with the courage and the strength needed in order to come into compliance with what you've told us to do. And Lord, as we think about these things today, as we reflect upon your word, help us to have an honest assessment, Lord, an accurate assessment, not just of where we are as people and, and how well our love for you is, but Lord, help us to honestly have, have a glimpse, help us to greater understand how much you love us. And Lord, just how amazing and beautiful that is. So, Lord, we pray that you would bless our service, that you would be honored and glorified in every word, in every action, in everything we do and say. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I, as I said earlier, uh, Peter had been having a rough stretch. We, uh, we think back to just before the crucifixion, and Peter had said that he would never deny Christ, only to deny him three times that very night. Not only denying the Lord, but denying him in very extreme ways. We remember that uh, this denial, as we saw in the sermon on that topic, was not just related to the words that were spoken, but there was also some things implied by Peter's actions where he, he denied what Jesus had told him to do. And so we see here this morning that not only did, did Peter deny the Lord, again, he denied him in extreme ways, cursing even. And then just last week, we came to the passage that we were studying, and we saw that Peter had faced this temptation to go back to the old way of life as a fisherman. Today, what we see is we see him restored to the ministry by Jesus. And, and Jesus will commission Peter specifically to lead the flock as a shepherd. But the most striking and arresting part of this text for me is this thrice-repeated question of Jesus, do you Love me. I believe that in both Peter's answer and also in the words of Jesus here, we get a clearer picture of what it looks like to truly and, and deeply, in a saving way, love Christ. You see, if I ask you this morning, do you love the Lord? Most of you, I imagine, all of you, most likely, would emphatically respond, yes, right? That's why you're here. Maybe you're here because someone drugged you, but for the most part, 
we're here because we at least claim to love the Lord and we want to serve Him. And yet what happens is that though many of us would emphatically respond, yes, we love the Lord, what happens is we live our life in such a way that, that says just the opposite. This is no. And, and I think the reason for this is that we begin to really misunderstand what love is. We, we don't think about it in, in a true biblical term. We tend to think of love only as this, this warm and fuzzy emotion, right? If I asked you what love means, many of us would probably give an emotion-based answer. We'd, we'd come up with some way to describe, again, that warm, fuzzy sort of feeling that we get. It's tough to define. And so I think what a lot of us do is we tend to take uh, an approach to love that is less than biblical, specifically when asking about whether or not we love the Lord. Rather than having our view of this and and our assessment of this question, do we love God, uh, rather than have a biblical understanding of it, what many of us have done is we've taken uh, the theology of the great George Strait and said we are going to check yes or no. Do you love me? Check yes or no. Here it is, an option, right? And what's happened is that we, we might check that yes box, but in reality, again, our life does not reflect that in one single way. Sinclair Ferguson said that love is not maximum emotion. Rather, love is maximum commitment. And I think that that is perhaps the greatest definition that, that we can come up with in, maybe in human terms. Love is maximum commitment. We realize that, for instance, those of us who who are married, we realize that in our marriages, there are times when that warm and fuzzy feeling might be not there. But our love is based on the covenantal commitment that we have before God. We realize that there are some times when our families, we love them, but it is very difficult. Love is about commitment. Let's say the same thing with our church. Oh, I love my church. Well, again... Churches can be difficult. And and as we continue to look in just about any situation, what we find is that love really and truly is not this just emotion that comes and goes, but rather love is this, this mainstay commitment that we have. And so what I want to do in our time together today is show you what love for Christ looks like from the Word of God and, and, and ask this question as kind of our orienting thought for today. What does it look like to give maximum commitment to Christ. What does it look like? I think for some of us, we get this wrong understanding or wrong idea that, that maximum commitment to Christ looks like selling everything I own and going to the jungle of Africa. And while that may be what God has called you to do, and that may be what maximum commitment looks like in your life, it might not be it for the rest of us. And so what I want us to understand is that in this answer, in this questioning what we find is that there are kind of three truths about love for Christ that we can see here. And so that's what we're going to look at today. The first is a love for Christ that is more than worldly pursuits. Love for Christ is more than, than simply the, the world's stuff. And we see this here very quickly. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What a loaded question this is. 
And there's so much material here that we, that we need to move quickly kind of through this. But I think it's important to note that from the get-go here, there's something we might have missed. And that is that Jesus addresses Peter here not as Peter, the name that Jesus gave him. But he addresses him how? Simon, son of John, or son of Jonas. Now the reasoning for this is that this is a rebuke. This is kind of like when your uh, parents use your full name. Right? When my parents did that, I knew that I was in trouble. I love the way that John MacArthur explained this. He said it's almost like the Lord called Peter by his former name whenever he was acting like his former self. And so the questioning that Jesus has for Peter reveals this to be the case almost immediately. When Jesus asks if Peter loves him more than these, the these that Jesus is talking about is the fishing equipment, the life. He's saying, Peter, do you love me more than than fishing and nets and boats and this old way of life? Do you love me more than these? And again, this is a massive question, especially given that Peter had just gone and gotten impatient and decided to do things in his own strength and and seek to provide again as a fisherman and live his life in that way. Peter had by his actions denied God's authority and providence. He had disobeyed the command to wait on Jesus and he was trying to do things in his own strength. And so the question is posed, do you love me more than these things? And that's the question that should be posed to all disciples who seek to do things in their own way, who seek to do things disobedient to what God has called them to do. You see, if we're disobeying what God has called us to do and we're trying to do things in our own strength, then we really have to ask the question, do we love him more than these? The same question is to be put to us today. Do we love the Lord more than the worldly things in our life. Whatever your these is, do you love Christ more? For some of us here today, the idea of fishing, maybe that's not your thing. So you say, yeah, I love him a whole lot more than boats and fishing nets and that sort of stuff. But all of us have our our, our sort of pet projects, our pet things that we love, the stuff in our life that we enjoy. And so our these might not be fishing nets, but it's something else, right? Like we can ask it in a different way. Do you love Christ more than your career? Do, do you love Christ more than your aspirations? Do you love Christ more than money or fame or power or reputation? Do you love Christ more than, than sports or hobbies? Because listen, as as we honestly evaluate ourselves, I think a lot of people, you love these more than you love Jesus, and it shows in your priorities. We say, well, how is that? Well, what do you place as more important than Christ? You see, if love is, is truly maximum commitment, then our first commitment should always be to Christ. And yet, how many things do we allow to come before our worship? Of him. Think of the excuses that we so often give for why 
we're not here in worship. This is more than just church attendance. It's also in our, our life in general. Right? Like, let's just begin to hit the high notes. We can go through them. The excuses that we get all the time. Some of you say, I, I love sports or my kids' sports games more than I love Jesus because I'm more committed to going to those things than worship. Some of you are more committed to and therefore love your sleep more than Christ because you're more committed to sleeping in than you are rising to get to church and worship Christ. But it goes even deeper, right? Not just in, in, in showing up to worship Christ, but even if you, you are here, your priorities in how Christ is worshipped. Again, some of you love your preferences over what is doctrinally sound. Some of us are more committed to, to a specific stylistic thing than we are God's word. Right? And this shows up so often in, in the peripheral things of the church. It's not just what we do, but how we do it. For instance, in the styles of music, right? We're more worked up about how fast or slow something is sung or what instruments it's played on rather than what we are singing about and who we are singing to. And what that does is it reveals commitment to preferences over worshiping Christ. And then it flows even further, though, into what the church does. Some of you, your priority and highest commitment is to tradition rather than Scripture. Some of you would rather have things be the way they always were instead of having things be done the way that Scripture says to do them. And so what I want you to see is that truly loving Christ means that we are more committed to doing things for Him and His way than doing things according to our wishes or the world's desires. We can put anything in this category of these. If there's anything in our life that takes the primary commitment that we are to give Christ, then we have fundamentally broken the law of Scripture, which says that we are to, again, have no other gods before Him. We're to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, the focus of all of our senses, of all of our faculties. The commitment is to be to Christ. And here is the implication of that question. The implication is it doesn't matter if you say you love him if there's no reflection of that in your life. Again, you can say, I love Jesus, but unless your life reveals him to be your highest commitment and highest love, then what we have done is you've made yourself to be a liar. John understood this, and he warned people in his letters. In 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, if we have loved the things of the world, we have missed it entirely. If our commitment is to the things of the world, we have missed what Scripture has called us to. We are to love Christ more than these. And so whatever your these is, put it where it belongs, and that is under submission to Christ. He must be our highest priority. And we see that reflected here in Peter's answer and in Christ's commission. See, the alternative to doing what we want and placing our priorities over Christ is to love him above all else and to fulfill the calling that he places on our life. Peter said, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus says, do you love me more than these? And, and Peter says, you know that I love you. And what is Jesus' response? Feed my lambs. And the answer to the question in the remaining two times, what does Jesus say? Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. The idea is that Peter is to be a shepherd. And so rather than focusing our highest commitment on the things of this world, fulfill the God-given calling on your life. Now again, I'm not saying you need to drop everything and go be a missionary or go to seminary or those things, unless, of course, God is calling you to do that, in which case do it. But he has certainly called all of us to do fundamental things that we fail to do on a regular basis because we're not truly committed to it. Things like sharing the gospel, being a part of a biblical church, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And so if these things are not a priority and they're not the highest commitment in our life, then we have missed the mark and must legitimately question if we love him at all. And so the first thing we need to understand about love for Christ is that it is our highest commitment above all else. Secondly, this morning, I want you to understand that love for Christ is not done in our own strength. Jesus asked Peter here, do you love me three times? This is indicative, some say, of the three denials that Peter had on the night before Christ was crucified. And, um, you know, it would be easy to kind of make those parallels here. But there's something here that we need to understand. There is a difference here in the wording that we need to grasp. And and it's rooted in the words that are used for love here. As we know... The original language that the Gospel of John was written in is Koine Greek. And within that original language of Greek, there were multiple words for love. However, in English, we just translate all of them as love, right? But there's nuance there in the original language. This would be like the difference between, for instance, crimson and garnet, Two different words, but just saying red. When in reality, there is a great deal of meaning there. And so, in English, we translate all of them as love, but there's more meaning here that we might miss. You see, the first two times that Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? The word that Jesus uses is is that agape love. Now, I know most of you aren't Greek students, but you probably have heard that word before, right? Agape love. It's likely a word you're familiar with. It's the unconditional love of God. It is total commitment. It's the highest form of love that there is. And this is what Jesus is asking if Peter loves him like. Do you love me with total commitment and in the highest way possible? And Peter responds all three times with a different word for love. Peter says, you know... I phileo love you. Now, phileo is brotherly love. It's friendly affection. And the easy way to remember this is, uh, you know, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Phileo love, brotherly love, right? This is the, the friendly affection that we see here. And so when Jesus asks, do you agape love, total commitment love me? Peter responds with, I love you with a friendly affection. There's a difference there, isn't there? 
And so the third time that Jesus asked this question, instead of using the agape love, Jesus switches. And he uses phileo as well. So the third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you phileo love me? He switches words. And this is why Peter is grieved after the third question, because this reveals something greater. You see, Peter was using that phileo word most likely because he's well acquainted with his less than perfect love. We remember Peter had been a guy who made bold claims. Remember John 13, 36 through 37? It says, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Peter, he was aggressive. He was very confident. And then again in Matthew 26, 33, Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. See, Peter had made some bold claims in his life, and what had happened? He failed. He did fall away. He didn't lay down his life. Peter had made bold claims, and he failed. And now he realizes that on his own, he will fail again. And so rather than making this bold, agape love claim from the beginning, Peter says, I, I phileo love you. Something that he thought was Sure. And so when Jesus changes to phileo love as well, Peter has twice said, I phileo love you, Jesus. I I love you with a friendly affection. And so when Jesus asks him the third time, he says, do you love me with brotherly love and friendly affection? See, when Jesus changes to phileo as well here, what he's doing is not only questioning the agape love Peter should have for Jesus, but it's even questioning the less than perfect love that Peter is claiming to have. Peter's grieved. What's his answer? He says, you know, Lord. You know everything. You know how much I love you. Here, this is akin to, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Peter realizes he could not do this on his own. He said, Lord, I love you and you know how much I love you. Now we need to be careful and understand what's happening here. Jesus is not lowering the bar. He's not lowering the standard. He's not not lowering the love commanded or necessary here for Peter. Rather, what Jesus is doing is showing Peter that on his own, he can't even love Christ at all. Something that hopefully Peter is acutely aware of, having denied Christ three times, cursing. Having shortly after the resurrection run right back to his old life. Peter Peter should get that by now, right? And so should we. This is what John meant when he said in his letter that we love because he first loved us. If God had not been gracious and merciful in loving us, we would never love him. Not even Peter, who walked with him for years, who's considered, you know, the inner circle of the disciples. Not even Peter could do it on his own. And so neither can we. 
We are enemies of God until we are changed by his magnificent grace. Left to ourselves, we will never love him because we are corrupted and dead in our sins. And so if you're out here trying to do this on your own, you will fail. It's not a question of if, it is a question of when and how far. And so what we must do is we realize we must love the Lord by his grace through the power of the Spirit giving us new life. And so if we are a believer here today, we're like Peter. Our love is imperfect, but thanks be to God that he shows grace and mercy. And because his love is perfect, we're able to be in right relationship with him. But if you're not a believer here today, you need to realize that you can't do it on your own. You may claim to love Christ, but we realize in reality, in our sin, in in our, uh, our default state, we are at war with God. The Bible says not only do we not love him, we hate him. It's only by his grace and the Holy Spirit changing us and giving us new life that enables us to love him in the first place. We love because he first loved us. And so as we think about this interchange that's happening here between Peter and Jesus, I hope you realize that the point here was that even Peter couldn't do it on his own. And neither can we. The love we have from Christ is because he has given it to us by his grace. Thirdly, this morning and finally, I want you to see that our love for Christ means laying down our life. True love for Christ means laying down your life. Following this interchange where Jesus is asking, do you love me? Peter is responding. And then Jesus is commissioning Peter. It's the last time he says, feed my sheep, and then he continues. What happens is that Jesus tells Peter what his life would be like. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus is saying, when you're young, you can go where you want, you can do what you want, but now because of his life for Christ, when he gets old, he will be killed for his faith. Ultimately, Jesus is telling Peter that loving him will cost Peter his life. But that cost is worth it. Because that death will ultimately glorify God. I love verse 19 because it tells us that, not, that the death here is not in vain, but rather the death glorifies God. Even a, a brutal martyring. Now we realize scripture doesn't tell us how Peter died. It tells us here clearly that he would die for his faith, but it does not tell us the specifics. The tradition and history, however, tell us that Peter was sentenced to death at the order of Nero. And he was crucified upside down on a cross because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as Christ. That's tradition, right? So we aren't 100% on it, but we are 100% sure that he was martyred for his faith. You see, love for Christ will mean that people will hate you and it will often cost you your life. Now, we are blessed because we live in a country, in a time and place, where at the current moment, we are not being killed left and right for believing in Christ. Just this weekend, uh, Rosalind and I were at a Christian conference in Atlanta, and uh, on Friday night, the, uh, the convention center had to be evacuated because of a bomb threat. Now, 
There's nothing to it, right? It's just somebody trying to disturb stuff. It ultimately was no thing. But we were talking about it later that, you know, it's crazy that in America people would even threaten to blow up people because of the gospel. Seems absurd, right? But the thing is, is that in literally any other part of the world, that's not an anomaly and it's not an empty threat. It is a reality. People will be faced with death for believing in Christ. Many of them almost immediately from the moment that they... This is why baptism is such a big deal anywhere else in the world. Here, people treat it so lightly, but anywhere else in the world, the moment that you publicly say, I am a believer in Christ, your life is in danger. And so there is a difference in the commitment. Most of the world, you don't get baptized because you have a a little, you know, uh, you see your friend do it and you think, that sounds fun. You don't get baptized because you, you feel some emotional thing. It's a true commitment because it means laying down your life, most likely. And here's the thing, guys. It will increasingly become a reality here unless something dramatically changes. So if we're going to be serious about loving Christ, we need to do that as our highest commitment even over our own physical well-being. And that is a tough message for our fattened and prosperous churches in America because we are so spoiled to the fact that many of us here aren't even willing to lay down our conveniences or creature comforts, much less our life. This has happened to me before. Imagine how small the crowd would be here if the air conditioning didn't work. In, in the past, when air conditioners didn't work, we got more calls to cancel church than we did anything else. We can't possibly do that. Right? We can't possibly meet in an area where it's a little warm or a little cold for 10 minutes. You see, we get more worked up about appearances and comforts than we do Christ and the gospel. So if you're unwilling to let go of some things that make you comfortable in the church, there's no way that you're going to lay down your life for Christ. Right? We remember Scripture tells us, he who's faithful in a little thing will also be faithful in a big thing. Inverse is also true. He who is unfaithful in the little things is unfaithful in the big thing. You can make this big claim that I'll, I'll lay down my life for the gospel. Yet in reality, we're not even willing to lay down the little things for him. And what we see is that it's not only death, right? Of course, here, Peter, we realize, will we'll face a difficult and brutal death. But Peter's life was going to be hard, too. It's not just that everything's going to be great up until the day that Nero's like, hey, you're going to go get crucified now. Preaching the gospel is hard work, especially on the cutting edge Trust me, there are plenty of days when being a fisherman sounds very appealing. But the calling to love Christ is a calling to come and lay down our life for his sake and for his glory. So even though Peter's life was going to be hard, even though his death would be brutal, he realized that that was what loving Christ meant, laying down our life, counting it all as, as worthless, as rubbish, Paul says in comparison with the gospel. Which brings me to our conclusion. 
When Jesus called Peter to be a disciple, he called him while he was fishing. Way back in the beginning. What did he say to Peter? He said, follow me. Here we see a similar situation. Peter had been fishing, but Jesus now calls to him and says, follow me. It's a command. Friends, we are called to follow Christ. Which means, again, a total commitment and a total submission to his leadership. Remember as a kid playing games like follow the leader or Simon Says? Those games are pretty easy so long as you know who the leader is. Some of you are following a different leader and you're responding to the commands of a different person. Follow Christ. Love Christ. Give him the totality of your commitment. We need to realize that our highest commitment is to Christ and not anything else. Our strength is in the Lord's grace, not ourselves. And our life, ultimately, it is not our own, but we were bought at a price and we were called to lay down our lives for the Lord daily, taking up our cross and following him. So today I want to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you love him? Not a warm, fuzzy, no consequence kind of love. But do you love him with a love that is greater than your love for the world? Greater than your love for your own life? If so, thank God for his grace in changing you and saving you. But if not, throw yourself on his grace and ask him to save you. Follow Christ. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do come before you this morning, and Lord, we thank you for the tremendous blessing of following you. Lord, for the believers here today, I, I pray that this life would not be a life that's lived in Lord, response or in reaction to anything else in this world, but a total commitment to you. And so, Lord, draw the believers here into a deeper commitment, into a closer following. And, Lord, help them to understand that it is by your grace alone. Father, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice who has not believed in you, Lord, we pray that you would call them, you would change them, and you would help them to love and follow you. Lord, move in our midst, have your will to be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bellevue Baptist Gadsden Podcast. We would love for you to join us on campus for worship Sunday mornings at 1045. We look forward to seeing you. Have a great week.